look, we're at the beginning of a multi-decade, a multi-decade um, investment cycle around en energy transition uh, and um, and ESG focused, uh, you know, imperatives. And I think if you can have a business that whether it's an asset integrity business like a lot of our businesses or some of our businesses that are participating in the circular economy, um, you know, we can talk about some of them, but if though if you can demonstrate that you can help these large public companies and your customers that have made significant commitments around ESG and, and, um, and energy transition, then, then I think that's going to be a very valuable business. I don't know how many terminal multiples uh, 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 how many um, increase in terminal multiple that translates into, but you know, uh, I think a good amount. Oil and gas makes modern life possible. The energy the world requires today and tomorrow will come from decisions made in the oil field today. Oil and gas will remain the leading source of fuel to power affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, clean, storable, and transportable power. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. United Airlines. As Houston's hometown airline, United has long been the preferred carrier of the energy sector. United for Business offers a range of programs and discounted travel options built for all of your energy, resource, and marine travel needs. Get started at united.com slash business. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. We are coming to you from Houston, Texas in the Fletcher Azul podcast studio. I am one of the hosts, Josh Lowry. I am joined, as usual, with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. David DeRode. Good morning, sir. How, How are, are you? you? I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, what is about 10 a.m. on a Friday. Yeah. Is is 10 a.m. on a Friday? Is that your your best hour of the week? How do you feel at 10 a.m. on a Friday? Normally it is, but I've been traveling some this week. And uh, where'd you go? Midland and Tulsa and and uh, all over town it seems. So uh, been uh, staying pretty busy. It was a short week too. Short week. We had Monday off, Labor yeah. Day. That's when yeah. kind of timing. We we. Uh, we came back from, I went to the Colonial Golf Tournament last weekend up in Fort Worth, which was just awesome. And so it's been not only a short week, but it's been, you know, I was, I was having trouble finding some words earlier, so it's been a long week. But uh, no, it's, it's Friday. I'm excited. Got a nice little weekend planned. So You bumped into one of our favorite uh, friends and characters up there at the Colonial, Cody Ortowski, didn't you? So I had never met Cody. And I knew who he was, but I'd never met him. He is, I can see why you guys are great friends. He's, he's hilarious, got a big personality. Uh, I told him a couple of stories about you know the podcast and asked him to come on. He said he wasn't going to come on. I said, well, just give me 10 minutes. I'll have David call you, and you'll be on the show shortly here. Yeah, so, yeah. But he was great. He was great. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's the podcast is blowing up, as we talk about all the time. Uh, I'm ready for this. We've got a fun day planned here. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else is going on that, that matters in the world. The, we've, got uh, a, we've got a new team built around the around the uh, podcast, which I'm really excited about. We're both excited about. I think you know you're right. We I'm in fact the uh, David we are, and Jonathan is still our you know he's friend of the program. He's going to help us out for sure. But we have we have full time people now that are going to be doing uh, video and audio. So hopefully you can check us out. Great segue, David. Yeah. You can check us out on our YouTube channel, uh, and you're going to see a lot more videos. Um, that are going to be edited, and we're going to see some short clips that we are going to be doing in-house now, which is something that we haven't been able to do or haven't done, I should say, in the time that we've had the show. So, no, it's it, the show is growing. Yeah, when, you, when you told, uh, when you just mentioned YouTube video, Neil's probably saying, I'm glad I didn't show up in my Motley Crue t-shirt this morning. You know? Well, before you introduce Neil on this, and I've, we've teased his name here, so just the audience needs to get ready. Uh, Victoria Beard is in the house today. Yes. She wanted to come see the special guest. And I am wearing a master's polo and jeans and, you know, some casual summer shoes. And she says, well, hey, thanks for dressing up. Yeah. Very derogatory in how I look. And I said, Victoria, I said, COVID has been a real issue for me. Like, I can't get back into my suits from 15, 18 months ago. So this is, everybody thinks I'm dressing down. I'm really just wearing a leisure suit. This is as close as I can get to business attire without going to work out. And I'm I'm just not going to work out yet. Yeah. You so know, we've, we've got some new chairs in the studio. Not that our old chairs were, were bad, but they were a little bit lower to the ground. I liked them, but we had some some of our, our guests thought it was a little too low. But, you know, and the, and the group has done a great job in kind of repositioning thing. We've got a new chair orientation this morning. Done a lot of really cool things around here, but they have not done anything about Josh's socks and shoelaces yet. I mean, it's just <laughs> – It's uh, – Neil – introduce our guest here so yeah, I, before yeah. I have to go defend how great I look again yeah yeah so ladies and gentlemen we have the one and only Neil Wiesel who's a great guy good friend he's a managing director at First Reserve and on the investment committee there and uh, glad to have him here Neil's been in and around the the oil field for a number of years and uh, certainly plays in the infrastructure and industrial services space as well and uh you know, First Reserve's done a lot of stuff over the years, and you've been a large part of that. So we're happy to have you on the show and cool. and uh, share a little bit about yourself and what you guys have done and what you're doing. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, it's great to be here. You know, just another boring Friday in a tequila-branded podcast yeah. studio. So I, I spend every Friday morning like this. It's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, listen, we appreciate the, the struggle you go through. <laughs> yeah. That's So one of the questions we ask our guest is, have you ever been on a podcast before? So I have n- not a podcast. Okay. No, you've done. I've done some radio interview, radio interviews, um, uh, and thing and other media okay. uh, related interviews, but never, never a podcast. Well, you will find out that this is the best podcast that you'll ever go on. I, I know it is. I know it is. All yes. Yeah. So well, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. So you, I, this was a fun uh, bit of research that we did on you. You know, David knows you well, and I. So David, the reason you, when we were doing some pre-show warm up, you said, "Man, you guys have had some great guests." David Rode, ladies and gentlemen. The guy is just, he knows everybody. But so it's kind of fun for me to meet and learn about some of his friends that come on the show. There is a lot in your history. You've done a lot. You've had a great career thus far. Thank you. Um, do you mind kind of catching us up from where you, where you want to start? I mean, you started second grade for all we care. Sure. But just where, how did you get to where you are today? Right. Well, as, as you, you all know, I live in Houston. Uh, I know it doesn't sound like it. Uh, I, I grew up uh, in a town on Long Island uh, outside of New York City, uh, met a uh, native Houstonian uh, in college, um, 
Jennifer and I later uh, got married um, uh, while we were living in New York City. The deal was we were going to live in New York City for uh, for the rest of our lives. That I was I had entered finance and you know this finance capital capital of the world. Um, and um, and then you know after eight years in the city, we had twins. And uh, and it didn't take too long before it was clear we were we were moving back to Houston where where her family was and um, uh, she was reluctant to raise kids in New York City and I, I got all that and I lo- I'd been coming to Houston spending time with her family for years and and loved the city so was happy to do it and uh, that was about 15 years ago um, and I joined First Reserve at the same time uh, when I, when I moved to um, when I moved to Texas and so so oh six I just want to oh seven oh seven okay. coming up on 15 years okay yeah so. Not a bad time to leave New York, by the way. 2007 was probably a tricky yep. time to be up there. Yep, it was. Uh, it was great time to come. To, great time to come to Houston for a lot of reasons, um, with, with what was going on with energy and and what was going on at First Reserve and the growth that the firm was having and and having a young family. You know, there's few places in my in my view that are better better to raise a family than in Texas, and so it, it all was was a great great situation. Okay, so you get to Houston, 07, come yep. to First Reserve, yep. and your focus is, do you know what your focus is going to be at that point, yeah. or do they kind of fall into it? Yeah, so the firm was was wise in that they understood that I knew very little about energy. But at that time, the Houston office was the much smaller uh, of, of the two main offices, the other being Greenwich. We had an office in London as well. Uh, but, but, but Greenwich had really been... Um, I would say the office of scale at that point, and Houston needed to build its capability and really have people that understood how to buy businesses, make investments. Um, and so I had spent uh, three years before that at Credit Suisse working with private equity firms, and then I'd spent five years at a private equity firm uh, just outside of New York City, um, focused on specialty manufacturing and value-added services and infrastructure. Um, and uh, and so knew how to um, uh, originate diligence uh, negotiate uh, a private equity transaction, but knew very little on it about energy. And the firm said, "Put it, you know, in the Houston office, living in Texas, uh, he'll get to understand energy uh, pretty quickly." And so it was important for me to be a generalist and in energy mm-hmm. and spend time on EMP, spend time on midstream and downstream businesses, spend time on all the equipment and services businesses that touch energy. And so that's what I did. Uh, I spent. Um, I spent time across really the energy value chain, and I was fortunate in that I ended up getting staffed uh, on on opportunities that um, that were really neat and interesting opportunities in energy. But mo- most importantly, had just great management teams um, that had been around the industry for thirty years and really seasoned, and um, and and were willing to take me under their wing and let me learn at their knee uh, the business. Okay. What was your first deal in Houston? So the the first the first situation uh, and investment opportunity I was I was um, staffed on. Uh, a lot of them came really quick. In that first year, um, I was uh, staffed on uh, a company called Deep Gulf Energy, okay. which was a deep water Gulf of Mexico EMP company founded by um, three gentlemen who had spent time uh, around Mariner Energy um, and. Uh, and and they they were very seasoned team. Um, we were um, drilling in the Deepwater Gulf of Mexico, and um, and you know we partnered with the team for uh, over twelve years, wow. which is long tenure um, tenure in uh, in private equity land, and um, and ended up ultimately being a great um, situation for us. We ended up packaging up our, the assets uh, after a decade and uh, selling the whole business to uh, Cosmos. 
public company, um, and that basically created their Gulf of Mexico division, and, our, and, our, and the whole Deep Gulf management team is now with Cosmos running that That's business. probably yeah. the best 10-year run, I mean, yeah. in, historically in offshore oil and gas. I mean, it, you had the most fun ever it was, possible. It was a great learning experience. Um, as I said, the management team are just incredible, incredible terrific people. Um, and great businessmen and women, and uh, and it was a great return for first reserve investors. So mm -hmm. uh, it kind of all worked. So I got you know not everything we we we've done at, at first reserve has worked like any investment firm, but but that one was a good one. It was good to be there early. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's your first deal. That takes us about 07, 08 time frame. Correct. Then, then the downturn. The yep. Then the downturn. Happens. Yep. Took hold and. Um, you know, at, at the firm, we are, uh, we're focused both on, you know, how to play a cycle, but also ha how to back the right management team during that cycle. There's horses for courses. Some guys are, and women are growth, are, are growth, growth guys mm -hmm. or gals, and some are more value. And, and so we were, I had another really neat opportunity um, to partner with uh, a gentleman named Tom O'Malley, uh, who had um, really created um, significant value. Um, over uh, 20 years in the refining industry. Uh, and so 2008 took hold, obviously, the refining industry, along with obviously lots of other industries, uh, had some real challenges. And so we, he, he was putting together an, uh, the, the band, an old management team, um, to go and, and uh, go elephant hunting in the refining business. Good timing. Um, yeah, so we bought, uh, we ended up buying um, uh, three refineries, at around 10 to 15% of replacement cost. Uh, so very much deep value. Uh, and built a refining company around it called PBF Energy, which is now public on the New York Stock Exchange, okay. uh, which um, was a great learning experience, great partnership for us, and again, another very good return for, uh, for First Reserves investors. I'm trying to think, uh, it, when you you said something a second ago about a cycle, so yeah. you're from New York dealing with, I mean, pri so you, you're not unfamiliar with cycles, but I would imagine coming from New York into the Houston oil and gas world, that that gave cycles a whole new. Yeah, there's an acuity to it, right? I mean, it's it's there's there's cycles that people living all over the world experience. I think living in a city like Houston, that um, is very energy centric, right? Which is in itself a highly cyclical industry. Right. That 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 did bring a new um, a new uh, level. level. Yeah, yeah. Next, level next, next, next level, <laughs> as they say. Right now, I would think that it would be. I mean, these are incredible cycles, and, and the ones you walked into were significant. The pivot, I mean, corporately from you know upstream over to midstream is was probably a great reason to be a generalist at that time. It was, um, and you know, I, I joined, and and we we saw the you know cycle trending down, and. Um, and trough, and obviously over over uh, over the years at, at the firm, right? We saw a, a significant up cycle into 2014, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and now obviously we've seen you know a lot of volatility, right. and challenge since then uh, around the energy space. So okay. in Houston, you know you're, you get a you get a front row seat to it. David, I have one more question I'll, I'll, before you jump in. No, no, no these you, are good questions. Well, so, Keep them going. Well, because, I mean, this was when, you know, I was with a company at the time that was private equity backed. And really, you know, I grew up in a family business, so there, private equity just wasn't a thing that was right. talked about in right. the late 90s, early 2000s. But it was a huge thing from 06 to, you know, really a couple years ago. But um, I, I wonder, were there as many opportunities? Because I remember that just the M&A happening was crazy in the upstream 
especially offshore or really anything drilling space, manufacturing especially, and I, we're going to look talk about some portfolio companies in a minute. Yep. Was it similar? Because when you talk about a generalist, I'm really not uh, a midstream guy. Was it the same type of activity available over there? No. So so it's a good point. So I, I would say ton of M&A act activity in upstream. Just but, right for it. Just, right? just right for it. Um, it's just a huge sector. It's highly capital intensive. Um, and um, and it's a, and even though it, the sector has gone through so much transition, right, in terms of you know what deep water offshore, shale, et cetera, it's it's a sector that's been around for a, a quite a long time. So I would say a ton of M and A activity um, around around upstream, uh, a ton around services, right, um, a good amount around midstream, and I would say very little around downstream, the, like the refining right. deal I mentioned. Part of why we were able to do that deal was that there were so many people that weren't really able to. Or I call that midstream a second. I'm sorry, you're right. But, but you're right. Yeah, yeah but sorry. You, but your, your, your point stands. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a wild time. And, you know, I remember going to the 2011 uh, drilling conference, yeah. offshore and land drilling conference. Yeah. It was the wildest three-day period, not with just activity of people. I mean, just the amount of business activity happening at that time was unbelievable. Companies yeah. were getting merged and bought and growth. It was it was insane. Well, you had the confluence of of, of technological advancement, That's right? Right, yeah. and and capital availability, and 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 I mean those two things just um, really allowed the industry to take off. Prang and Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang and Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. All right, so I'm going to keep going to road. I'm, I'm that espresso. I had it ten minutes before you did, <laughs> so my I'm I'm high activity right now. Keep going. You're okay. asking good questions. <laughs> so we all. I told you, Neil, that you should have had that espresso, and that's not really for your game. That's just so we're all somewhat on the same level because I'm high. I'm high energy. Are you? Regardless of yeah. what what I've had to drink. Okay. Well, so, so don't I'm, worry. I'm loaded up on. I, I promise. Quite I, a few caf or espresso, double espressos, I should say. Uh, you are you. The, when you come into the space that you're talking about, a lot of these you, you talk about management teams. Yeah. And um, are you an op- have you learned operations? Have you studied that? I mean, is that something that came natural to you, or are you just strictly finance and then identify good people to help you run these things? Yeah. So we we the at least at first reserve the way we the way we do it, and there's lots of I think recipes for success. Uh, you know, our view is where we are investors, active board members, um, and and partners to management. So we're not going to, no one on the first reserve staff, full-time staff, is going to go in and run a business. Okay. Um, uh, I think that um, we have really benefited from our uh, deep network of operating executives that have come onto the boards of our portfolio companies, whether it's a relationship we have on an informal basis, someone we've known for years, or whether it's a first reserve senior advisor 
who's not a full-time uh, First Reserve employee, but a retired senior operating executive okay. um, who can really mentor a management team um, and also uh, play a different role than a than a, a partner at the firm or, or, or a more junior investment professional at the firm can. So um, I like to think that we've we've seen a ton of complex operational issues, all sorts of commercial um, challenges, uh, lots of strategic issues, you know, around um, around capital formation and M and A and things like that. So I think we can add a lot of value as a board member. You know, we really do our work. We don't, you know, we don't show up to a board meeting uninformed. Um, uh, and so, but that's the approach we take. Um, is a very active, a very active board role. And that's not, you know, a once a quarter board meeting. That's a as a board member, but but the primary shareholder. You know, right. we're, we're talking to management several times a week. Well, and if you're listening to this, um, you should go check out their website, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. But sure. There's a list of their portfolio companies on there, and you know I know a lot of these companies, and right. I know a lot of the senior leaders at these companies, and it, you know as I look at them, I'm like these. This is a lot of really smart people doing yeah. really smart things, uh, and you know I, so it's it's interesting to say when you talk about well we're the lead. Um, Shareholder, so we show up to the board meetings. I know some of your your other people that are on your team specifically, and yep. it is it really does blow my mind how smart and capable. And I'm this I'm not trying to pump you up. I, I tell this to people all the time. The world at which you know, like a Simmons Energy operates, uh, First Reserve, any of these yep. these big, you know, professional finance companies or investment firms, like it's the special ops of like they're super talented in finance, they're super talented in operations. Oh, and they can go to a baseball game and tell you all about the pitcher's ERA and right. you know, I just I'm always blown away by the scope of the breadth of knowledge that a lot of these guys have. So it is interesting to hear you say, you know, that we don't show up unprepared. Yeah. And I'm sure the management teams that makes them feel more comfortable as well. Yeah, I mean, look, one one that's our job. Um, right? That's what we're getting our, our investors are paying us to to um, to be very, very informed and very, very involved and have a strong point of view. Um, and so we do. Um, and um, so we do a ton of work, obviously, behind the scenes and a lot of work, you know, in the scene uh, w- while we're with while we're with management. But also it's um, that's what management wants. Uh, you know, management wants a value added partner. If there are management teams that just want capital and don't want that point of view, don't want that partner, we're not going to be the right investor. Um, we're not. So, like I said, we sort of I think I think about us as sitting there somewhat in the middle um, on one of the spectrum. You have firms that uh, you know they'll go in and they'll go run the company. Um, they'll terminate a management team or buy an asset without a management team and, and, and they'll go run it. We don't, we don't do that. Um, on the other end, there are uh, folks that you know, are just capital um, and, and funding. Um, and that's absolutely you know, n- not, us, not us either. We sort of sit there in the middle as someone who um, is going to um, you know, do a lot of work and have strong views and um, and express them, uh, but and also try to be a valuable partner to yeah, the management not team. Just help them backseat their, driving here. Help them grow their business, whether it's commercial relationships, introductions, or whether it's helping them solve a complex strategic or operational issue. Um, you know that that's what we think we're there for. Okay. Yeah. How often do you feel like you you've encountered a situation where you know after a period of time or or in a short amount of time conclusion that maybe you need to you don't have the right management team maybe they're they're not able to deliver on what what ultimately you guys yeah have asked them to do you know we've gotten a lot better uh at that in that um in that it's it it happens less often than than perhaps it has uh in the past um see what we did there 
Yeah. I peppered you for 20 minutes. Yeah. You're great, great, great. David's like, now, when do you recognize? Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Uh, You're talking about all the good stuff. Talk about about lessons learned. Um, And and there's plenty of lessons that we learned. Sure. Um, Right. I think think that a key part of our job uh, as an investor is talent assessment. And talent development, but you're asking the assessment question. When do you when do you when do you realize you didn't assess correctly, sure. um, or your assessment changed? Uh, you know, I, it's very important that we get it right. Yeah. Um, and so, a big part of our diligence, beyond all the quantitative analysis that you would expect we do, and sort of market facing opinions and 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 all of that. Um, and uh, and sort of what you would think is standard. A big part of our diligence is assessing the management team, the quality of the team, and does the team have the resources to execute on the growth plan that the investment's predicated on, right? right. There's a lot of, there, there, we have seen a lot of investments where it could have quite a good team. Right. But our this deal and our capital is taking the company to the next level. Does that same team that's gotten it to here have the resources and the and the talent to take it to you know, um, you know, from point A to point B. Right. Um, and I would say that um, I would say that we have uh, done a lot to make sure we get that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms, in terms of employing like real tools uh, mm-hmm. that we use um, in assessing each key individual on the management team and being very honest about yeah. what we what what's positive and what's not and whatever's not. Is it is it is it surmountable? Um, yeah. You know, can yeah. you can you mitigate it? Um, and so, I think I think David, we're 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 we've gotten really good at it. Um, but part of why we've gotten really good at it is we've learned from a lot of tough tough mistakes. Well, I think in fairness, though, to to everybody, I think it's the ones that make the mistakes that learn from them are the ones that you should focus on. The ones that continue to make the same mistakes, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. That's insanity. Yeah, what they say is the definition of uh, insanity. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the reason I asked the question, obviously, you're in the private equity space, and it's been particularly focused in a sector where there's mixed motions. Mm-hmm. I would say there's there's some good information, but I think there's also a lot of misinformation, and it got, kind of goes back to in my opinion, what what really is meaningful. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, it seems like historically there was a focus on financial performance when in reality, somewhat counterintuitive, non-financial performance, I think is actually more important than than anything else in the sense that that's ultimately what drives the financial performance. And I feel like there's been a disconnect with a lot of folks in terms of where they've where they've spent their time mm-hmm. focusing on teams as opposed to having those those tough assessments and saying being really honest and going have we really evaluated all of our risks and are we are we addressing them the right way do we have the right people to do that and are we are we actually paying attention to the information we're generating internally about ourselves to better you know uh, steer the ship so to speak yep yeah I think Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I, do you, do you, with the with the ESG kind of becoming a bigger issue, I think the Europeans got it wrong. Uh, I think the G ultimately drives everything else. Mm-hmm. But it seems like if I'm an investor and I give somebody a dollar, at the end of the day, I want to know that I'm going to get my dollar back plus some. Right. And if I'm a lender 
if I loan you a dollar that I'm going to actually get paid back and I'm not going to see you on the courthouse steps. And if I'm an insurer, I'm only going to insure you for the stuff that, uh, that is unforeseeable, right. You know, that, that you couldn't, uh, engineer or manage or mitigate out of the, out of the business. And it seems like people are starting to wake up to the fact that there are more things you've got to focus on in a business from an investment perspective than just financial performance, which sometimes can be misleading because it's a lagging indicator. I'm going to shut up, but I know. Look, I think, I think, I think you're right. Right. I mean, it's really, there's some, some of that are, some of those things are intangibles. Right. And some of them are tangible, even though it may not be financial performance. You know, for, for, for example, um, we, um, we, uh, um, acquired a, a new investment recently with a management team we'd sort of courted for a few years. And so we're still sort of perfecting the financial reporting package and the, the monthly pack and the board book. And um, this is a great team. They just hadn't worked with us before. And they passed a comment at a board meeting we had this week, which is how um, they really like uh, how we start off every meeting, the beginning of the board pack, uh, even before the table of contents is whether it's three pages, five pages, or ten pages, whatever is required on environmental health and safety performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so and, and you know we we thank them for the compliment. For for us, you know we that's the way it's been for I don't know fifteen years because it was that way when I joined the firm, mm-hmm. um, right? And so and so that is. Now, we do believe companies that operate safely in an environmentally friendly way and kind of have their act together uh, in, in that area, take care of their employees mm-hmm. um, and prioritize that as the number one priority, um, will also just be better companies, yeah. um, right? And, um, and, and there's an institutional quality of that. So it's the right thing to do um, for your employees and for your community and, 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 and the environment, but it also means you, you have a, a better, um, and ultimately what should be a more valuable business. I, I think a lot of people get that. I don't think as many people get that, that should, right. um, which is kind of related to your point. Yeah. Almost, you know, the, the funny thing and, and that I've, I've been pretty vocal on in the ESG concept, when you think about the industry as a whole, the broad energy industry, you know, the concept of uh, HS&E has been around for quite a while, health, safety, environment. And I think there were companies that actually focused on that and ran their business as a result of the feedback they got from that. <clears throat> then there's others that did a lot of lip service. But I think that's true in whatever whatever business or even in life, there are going to be people that talk the talk and the ones that walk it, actually. Yep. And, uh, and then people started focusing on quality a little bit more and how that became... And where I feel like <clears throat> the industry is already there, even though we've not been given credit for it. And, of course, you, one could say that and historically the governance has not been there. But if you just stick a G on the front of that, you've essentially got what these guys have been talking about from a, from an ESG perspective. But you got to have the governance. you got to have the board. you got to have the management team. And you got to have a willingness of people to acknowledge that they can continuously improve the business. And why not do that? if you're going to build value in why not do that if it also helps build reputation for the industry and, and allows you to pound your chest from a PR perspective. Did, did you see the article that was out? I think it was last 10 days and it said oil and gas passed its first test that 
prices are up, the, the opportunity to drill more, the opportunity to do mm -hmm. what we've done in the past was there and we didn't. Mm -hmm. And they return, you know, shareholders are happy, like, okay, right. <laughs> you're paying attention to us. I, I thought that was a pretty good article yeah. about people. Yeah, it was, it was. And I think, and I want to react to something, something you said, David, which is, um, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly how you, how you said it, but but about um, about how the energy industry and how it's been uh, viewed with respect to ESG. And you know, look, I, I think that it, this is maybe more nuanced than a lot of people than how a lot of people think about it. But we really have to bifurcate. We talk about ESG. There is the energy industry and their companies' dedication mm -hmm. and focus around ESG, and then there is the you know just. Um, uh, hard fact uh, right. that that a, a lot of the energy industry is hydro hydrocarbon producing businesses and 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 those around them that um, that have that have a carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, but it, but if you put the second piece to the side, this industry has been extraordinarily focused, and I would say a leader around safety, absolutely, um, and around um, safety standards and health of employees and communities for decades yeah. and I think the industry ought to be very proud of itself and not be shy about uh, making that point um, uh, that that the industry's been really a a, a, le a leader here and taking it very very seriously well to your point you said it's you know I don't know when it started they've been doing it as long as I showed up yeah ever since I showed up and the fact is is I I, I think if you listen to the podcast on a regular basis that David almost from episode one to now has not waved you know waffled at all on this the fact is, a lot of these people do this. A lot of these companies do this. And it's not just a lip service. I mean, this is a, you know, he, one of the, his points that he brings up is a lot of, you know, a lot of people are out, outdoors people, right? Hunter, fish, everything. And like, of course, we want to take care of the environment. And then you mentioned the safety. If you remember those 2012 days with the IADC and the sure. drilling, th I mean, the safety numbers were trending in the right direction big time. So it, it a lot of it comes down to just us telling the story better, which is kind of it, the reason it, this podcast. It is. I mean, I, I, I you know, I joke um, because, uh, uh, you know, I think it, it, this is the case. This is a case from what we're talking about right now where I do think it really is a PR problem. You know, sometimes people think they have a PR problem, but they have an actual problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think this is a PR problem. Yeah. People don't just think you're a jerk. You're an actual jerk. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. Right. No, it's, 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 it's true. And I, and I don't think, um, it's not only a PR problem, but I think it's just an overall education issue, critical thinking around truly th what uh, what makes modern life as we know it possible, at least here in North America. I, I think that's absolutely right. And um, I, I have a question for who do you think is doing a good job with this? Who do you think is doing it? Uh, you know, we're not, we won't make you call anybody out. And but I mean, like, who's yeah. doing a great job of telling the story for themselves? Because you see some companies like Total changing their entire name, right? Right. Um, is that the way to do it? I mean, who do you think is doing a good job of telling the story? You know, I, I personally think that um, that a if I uh, two examples, I, I do think that, um, and obviously this is like I'm talking my own book, and it's pretty self-serving, but it's how, it's how I feel. I do think that the large institutional private equity firms invested in the energy uh, value chain have done a really good job around this issue that we're talking about. And I think that um, we have gotten much better over the last few years in showing how we're not a Johnny come lately to these issues. And 
and and and we're not new to emphasizing them and managing them and we're getting much better at 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 articulating that and 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 a big constituency that we're that we're focused on articulating it with and two is our community of investors um to who to their credit the investors in our funds are um demanding it uh, and I think that we can be very proud, not just First Reserve, but others like us, we can be very proud about how we have managed this over a long time before it was popular right. um, uh, as an area to focus on, uh, number one. And I would say, without mentioning specific names, to, to Josh, but to, to answer your question, um, I would also say that I think a lot of the large, large public oil service companies um, you know, they, they have done a, they, they've been leaders around safety, mm -hmm. um, health, environmental, uh, and I'm talking the larger, yeah. the larger ones. And I think that, um, I think they've started to do a much better job at, um, at marketing how they've been uh, thought leaders and pioneers in a lot of these areas. Have, have any of your portfolio companies experienced the push from their customers? It's like, hey, we're, we are doing this. We need you guys to step up and do this as well. Yeah, so so it's interesting. Um, I, I think we, we are now of a view, and a lot of our portfolio companies now, you know, we used to be investing mostly in EMP, mostly in oil field service. Um, and I would say we're now, we always though had a, had a heritage of investing in things that weren't that too. It was just a smaller piece of what we did. Infrastructure assets, industrial services and manufacturing businesses, distribution and logistics businesses, we always did that. Um, but it was a smaller piece if you go back 20, you know, 25 years. Over the last decade, it's that, all of that's been a much bigger piece. And while we've always been focused on health, safety, and environmental and ESG concerns in all the businesses, um, what we've seen is that a lot of these companies are actually being driven as part of as an investment theme is around sustainability and ESG concerns. So what I would say is, um, is that if you, I think it is important for our companies to be um, on the right side of ESG issues in terms of how they operate. But really, from an investment perspective, what I think is going to create a lot of value for some of these companies is if they can show how they can help their customer base achieve their sustainability and ESG goals. That's a very valuable um, product in this, in, in this environment. And I think, we're, look, we're at the beginning of a multi-decade a multi-decade um, investment cycle around en energy transition uh, and um, and ESG focused uh, you know imperatives, and I think if you can have a business that whether it's an asset integrity business like a lot of our businesses or some of our businesses that are participating in the circular economy, um, you know we can talk about some of them, but if though if you can demonstrate that you can help these large public companies that are your customers that have made significant commitments around ESG right. and, and, um, and energy transition, then, then I think that's going to be a very valuable business. I don't know how many terminal multiples, uh, 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 how many um, increase in terminal multiple that translates into, but you know, uh, I think a good amount. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust a leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. 
Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for information. Locked in Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly independent. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com. You know, the funny thing is though, I think when you talk about some of the bigger companies, and I'll name names, the Exxon Mobiles, mm-hmm. uh, the Chevrons, I would say the North American large uh, companies, you know, they, it's like we're talking about energy transition like it just is something that needed to be talked about last year. They've been transitioning for forever. Mm-hmm. And, and again, going back to comments about PR, I mean, I just think they've done a terrible job of, of educating people because they've – I think well, they've we've been trained, alone. They've been alone. Well, we've trained so many people to think about financial performance alone. And what people don't, I think, have a really good grasp on is that financials are somewhat fungible and they're also lagging indicators of performance. So they're not really necessarily telling a story of. And the public markets are very. The, uh, they're quarter to quarter. The public focused. markets are very short term focused. Yes. Quarter to quarter focused. And, and, and there's a problem with that, particularly if you've got to do something, I think, that may may not look logical in one quarter Mm -hmm. but makes a whole hell of a lot of sense for the next three years you know of an investment in in whatever it might be and it's you know it's it's to me it's somewhat comical in the sense that um you've got you've got all these investors coming in saying we want you to do this while it's at the cost of what they're ultimately have, have invested in this company for right and they're not giving it a chance for for certain strategies, I think, to play out. And it's uh, so I, you know, to to I think the point we we're all making earlier. A lot of these companies have been doing a lot of the right things for a long time. It's when I think you get um, misinformed or different opinions about certain directions they should go without a true focus on sustainability, and it's just focused. Uh, we just want to see this, and. And, and, and as a result of that, um, they actually get uh, weaker performance or worse performance than had they uh, allowed teams to do certain things. I, I know I've had that discussion with a number of different management teams, particularly CEOs who've expressed frustration sometimes with their boards um, where um, they're against doing something because it intuitively it makes sense to them. but counterintuitively where they were wanting them to cut costs maybe they should be spending more money right in certain things right and it's it's been kind of interesting but and they're and they're good companies that have good grasp of this but then there are a lot of folks that that don't yep so you know private equity as you know is has been something that's that's blossomed over the last 20 years really uh or 
well, gosh, 30 you're years. Actually, you're actually, I'm jumping on yeah. your, your back here, David, with, so what we, isn't, this is the future, by the way. You're, you're, you're the first one to see our TV on live action. Oh, cool. I love it. So cool. You're, so I'm, you, we have the portfolio companies here. Yeah. Uh, what, I mean, we're looking at 25 to 30 mm -hmm. companies active you guys have right now? Yep, that's, okay. right about, that's about right. So, you know, great companies. I highly recommend anybody listening to go check it out. But, you know, the amount of influence where, you know, I'm company one, company two, company three, the three of us here. All right, I may like to do it, and I may have a great ESG program, or I may, may not call that 10 years ago. But what's, what's one company going to do? All of a sudden, a group like First Reserve comes in with a model of 25 different companies saying, hey, we're all going to do this. This is what we're going to do. And not only are we all going to do it together and simultaneously throughout the industry in different, you know, mid up. And Absolutely. That, and they, the mouthpiece, though, that you when I, we, you brought up Exxon Chevron a little bit ago, you're right. They, this isn't new to them, but it's one group. And it, just like anything, it's going to take, you know, if, if you will, the soldiers of oilfield services and the smaller EMPs and the smaller drilling companies to kind of get in there and jump on that. So I just wonder, like, from a, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear, like, heck, are you guys actively coordinating that mindset through these different? Totally. I, I would say, um, you know, we have, for example, an ESG toolkit that we use in diligence, same toolkit for every company. So, so, so that, that helps us assess where the company is from an ESG perspective, are we comfortable with that, and then what do we do to bring it up to first reserve standards, okay? So that's sort of one. Then we'll, we have a, a regular reporting tool that all these companies um, will use that's an ESG dashboard, right? And so there's a lot that we're doing together, and then we're hosting CEO summits and conferences and, and regular conversations around best practices around these things, which probably, not just ESG, lots of things. As yeah, you yeah, yeah. So we try to have a lot of synergy and and um, and sort of sharing of best practices and lessons learned among the portfolio. I, I will say, you know, and just if we're trying to be balanced, um, there are there are haves and haves nots in the sector broadly. Sure. Okay. So I think there are lots of businesses that can both operate very safely and responsibly and 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 sort of live a, a, a proper ESG mandate uh, in terms of how they're run and also have an opportunity to participate in the uh, value creation that's coming from the energy transition and the put and the focus on sustainability there are some companies that because of perhaps their you know narrow scope and and where they've tended to focus and just who their customer base is, that I think you know should definitely focus on number one. Everyone, every company should number one is table stakes, right? Right. But doesn't really have a product or an opportunity to participate in that value creation. I mean, that I, I don't know. Um, I, I I don't. I think that it's there are some mid cap, small cap oil field services companies that um, I just. Uh, I don't. I don't really see the path toward value creation um, yeah. around sustainability. It doesn't mean it can't be a great little business that operates that operates in a safe and and sustainable and an effective way, uh, and can't be a great service provider to its customer base, which are EMP companies, and can't drive costs out of the business and generate synergy from M and A opportunities. I mean, there's a future there, but I I, I think it would be. 
um, uh, unrealistic to assume that that small cap oil field services company is going to now suddenly transition into a business that is, you know, really benefiting from energy transition. No, and they don't. I, I agree with you. So we just took a uh, a first for the show. We've had tequila breaks with Aaron yeah. Marquez. We have never had a an espresso break. So no. we are back. So I'd like the audience's opinion. And, and the, we're back and wide awake. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's about a five-minute espresso break. Uh, but, yeah, so we're going to jump back to it. Go ahead, David. So, you know, I think one of the things we were interested in chatting about and uh, observation I think a lot of people have been making is that, you know, when you think about the last, uh, I don't know, 30 years, the emergence of – of uh, private equity and how it's, you know, in in a lot of industry sectors and how it's grown. There's been a lot of frustration, particularly at the energy sector, so-called capital destruction. And, and I think there's, there's, there's been some capital destruction, but I would, I would say that unfortunately the negativity outweighs the, the positives because I know of a lot of companies that have done very, very well, even through the various cycles, not as well as they'd like to, but they, are sustainable businesses because they've got really good management practices in place, Definitely. good culture, et cetera. And, and so there's room for improvement, but I know that that's a headwind for, for a lot of folks in the private equity world, particularly in this sector or around the sector, uh, with certain LPs, some that, that obviously lost a lot of capital, some that I think might've done well, but are being pressured to, to do other things. But when I think about where some of that money is now trying to go, into alternative energy, renewable energy, which is all good stuff, which, by the way, has been around for a while and uh, has been attempted in a, in a number, number of ways. I think technology is certainly allowing us to unlock some of that stuff that we didn't get right a while back that allows certain things to go. And while I think some of this capital is going to find a home in some really good companies and opportunities, I think the amount of capital that's going to get destroyed tracing what I call jokingly the green new drug as opposed to the the shell boom or whatever you want to call it it's going to make you know the the latter look like child's play in terms of capital destruction what is what is y'all's view on on kind of the world where we are today and the opportunities in front of you guys and, yep. and kind of what gets you excited and where you're being cautious and yep Yep. All that good stuff. No, look, that does, that's a great question. There's a lot in there. I'll make a couple points. Um, one, um, and again, at, at the risk, again, of talking my own book, I will say that I do think that some of the people that are best positioned to be making these investments, right, around energy transition, ESG, and, and sustainability are firms that at one point were the old energy economy um, uh, investors, uh, because they've they've learned the lessons of what you said, sure. um, and they we uh, should be cognizant of that that issue around destruction of capital um, and um, and uh, and and sort of what happened uh, at various points in kind of the shale revolution, um, and and so we should take those to heart uh, as we're looking at our investments around sort of this new energy economy. Um, and I think that most of us have learned the lesson, have internalized it, and, um, and I think we'll, we'll you know, be very reluctant to uh, allow it to be repeated. I think that um, 
And I, and I think that's borne out, right? A lot of us, including, you know, First Reserve have, you know, for example, a SPAC, um, right? A special purpose acquisition company. In our case, it's First Reserve Sustainable Growth Corporation, which is focused on investing in a sustainability ESG-driven energy transition business. Um, and we think that we're well positioned to do that because of the opportunities we're seeing in the space uh, and because of uh, the lens that we have. Uh, both the traditional energy lens and kind of the new um, energy e economy energy lens. Wait, I'm, I'm not as smart as David. Yeah. I, I want to understand what you're talking about. So you guys have a new fund. SPACs, I, I guess SPACs been around. I feel like they've just exploded in the last 12 months. <laughs> I mean, am I, I wrong? They got the Shaq's pack, <laughs> which is an indication of... Uh, I yeah. Of, of buyer beware. Yeah. It's definitely I the winner, the, the, well, I would say... The haves and the have-nots and the... That, that's really the point. I think there are institutional investment firms like First Reserve and others that have established a SPAC as a means to help take get find a business that can use a significant amount of capital to meet an aggressive growth plan in this area around sustainability and ESG. And, um, and I think that that's, the SPAC is a great tool for folks like us to be able to act on those investments that are more difficult to act on in the context of a traditional private pool of capital, just given the fact that we're, we're a minority, we end up being a minority, so we don't control the board, um, given the sort of nature and, and, and shape of what that investment looks like, you know, not appropriate for the fund. There are lots of folks that have, in a, in a hot market for SPACs, that are not institutions that have just gotten together and created a SPAC, uh, which I think is, is we're going to narrow the herd um, yeah. at some point over the next, where it's already narrowing, where I think it's the institutional sponsors that are going to be successful in continuing to have SPACs and use them as this tool, um, and then the less institutional ones may, may go away. So I need to put you on the spot just to hear here. We, you know, when this show started out, highly focused on the institutional investor, the private you know, equity, the very finance focused. The, the show has grown. There's a lot of, I got an email yesterday, David, I meant to tell you about a young guy that just graduated out of school in Mississippi, listens to the show, and was trying to talk about renewables in trucking. And how. And I thought to myself, we are reaching a 22-year-old person right out of college that is asking about renewable trucking questions, and how does that relate to the oil and gas business? So there's a lot of people that aren't the traditional audience that we've had. So do me a favor. And for, I've always told people, and I'm not even going to tell you what, just to make sure. I want to hear, hear what you say first before I say it. A SPAC is a uh, I've heard it's publicly, it's a public private equity firm or private equity group. Yeah, I, I would say simply what it is is um, is is a a a group of investors will create a vehicle that they will take public on a stock exchange, uh, and that group of investors now has this vehicle uh, for a period of time, usually two years, to find an investment opportunity, a company that will merge with your SPAC. Your SPAC doesn't have an asset other than cash and trust from the investors that allowed you to create this vehicle. And you will find a, an interesting opportunity that meets your mandate that you think will provide compelling returns for, the pub for public equity investors. And you will merge your SPAC with it such that that SPAC then really just becomes that company you merged with as a public company okay um, right so you're you you are um, and and, it, and it's and it's neat because you can take s companies that are more nascent in their development 
and have a very attractive and aggressive growth plan um, and and take them public and get them the capital as part of this transaction that they need to meet that aggressive growth plan. Um, and and so we're excited about it because of what it allows us to do. I do I, I, I do want to answer your question, um, David, on kind of where we're, where we're excited and where we're not. And I think that, um, you know, First Reserve is still pursuing opportunities around traditional energy, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, an EMP business or, or, or something of that nature, we, we are still in that business in a much smaller way than we used to be. Um, and what I would say is it's much more opportunistic. Uh, and, and, and one of the biggest reasons is, I, whether it's an EMP company or an oil field services company, I think it's just very difficult today to assess what the terminal value of that asset will be. Right, and so we're having to evaluate those opportunities through a lens of what sort of return can I generate just through free cash flow and distributions of cash over time. And yes, it will be worth something in the end when we go to sell it, but I think it's very hard to know what that multiple is gonna be. So for that reason, the bar has just dramatically gone up, right? You can imagine how, what the filter looks like if all of a sudden you're saying, I'm only gonna buy uh, you know, a, a, an EMP asset that I believe can generate you know, whatever return we think is acceptable through free cash flow, and then maybe there's upside through, through, through terminal value. So that's why it's become a much smaller piece of what we do, and it's much more opportunistic. I would say that there are lots of what are you know traditional businesses so not renewables businesses or 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 i would say you know particularly you know green businesses lots of traditional businesses where i think um you can you can ascribe terminal value to it they can participate in sustainability and that's really where we're very focused um not in the science projects all the way at the other end of the spectrum that don't have proven revenue or don't have EBITDA, you know, earnings. This is what I'm speaking now. I'm talking about for our traditional business, which is our private equity funds. Right. Um, uh, and th- these are businesses like, um, uh, you know, we own an industrial cleaning business called the Busk. So that's what we're. I was looking at your portfolio of companies here. There's a couple I don't recognize on there. This yeah. is one of them. This what? is one of them. So, yeah, the Busk is a business based here in Houston, founded by a gentleman um, and some of his partners <laughs> named named Andrew DeBusk, uh, who um, who uh, is a terrific operating executive and entrepreneur, and they're a leading industrial cleaning business. They they have some of the largest companies um, you know in the world that contract them to uh, come in and and clean um, complex infrastructure and units inside refineries, chemical facilities, petrochemical facilities, and other industrial assets. And they are, you know, I would say that is a traditional business, right? Uh, it doesn't sound very, very ESG or sustainability-like. Right. However, they are helping these huge companies operate more safely, more reliably, um, and so that's an example of a business, and there's lots of them on that screen that are in different areas that we love. What, what's yeah. refuel? Uh, so refuel, refuel. Yeah, I just did a big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Re- thanks for asking about refuel. I love talking about refuel. If anyone, <laughs> well, if anyone who knows me knows. Um, <laughs> re- refuel is our 
uh, is our convenience store platform. It's a branded convenience store platform um, that we started in partnership with um, with a, a, a few gentlemen that we'd spent a couple years getting to know and courting. Um, where we uh, now own, over the last 24 months, we've est- we've established a platform of 113 convenience stores. Um, many I mean, convenience stores, con- convenience stores, convenience stores, gas stations, Cokes. Correct. And the reason why we love it is that um, the, re- the reason the reason why we love it is that uh, if you have a good convenience store in the right location, they are taking significant share from big box retailers, from grocery stores, and from other quick serve restaurants. Mm-hmm. They have a following and a brand, and they're very convenient. Um, and so it's as much a play on that as it is on the distribution and logistics of refined product. But well, wait, I'm, I'm on my computer. <laughs> yeah. what, is, what is it, Refuel Market? What? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's you guys? That's, that, that should be their website, yeah. This, this logo. Yeah, the hot and crispy. Chi- you got the hot, hot oh, and crispy chicken. I mean, I look. I'm already happy yeah, with we'll, this. Uh, we'll this tra- discovery. Travel here. to Indianola, Mississippi, which okay. is the which is the the original home of the hot and crispy chicken, which we've now rolled out across Charleston and across all of our South Carolina locations. And um, and I would I, I think you would be hard pressed to find uh, fried chicken that you think we are going to make as good as that this kid's day the kid that emailed me yesterday his name is noah blake and he lives in mississippi so noah you're getting mentioned so congratulations and, tell, and, and noah the name of the brand we have in mississippi is double quick it's double quick is the is the is the c store and hot and crispy chicken uh <laughs> is the it. is the chicken brand well, if you knew how much we love a place called Super Chicken here, okay, th- which it's it's offensive how much we love it. I'm sure so, it's good. It ain't hot and crispy. I, I, honestly, I accept that challenge, <laughs> and I've been known to do a lot of stupid things and drive for chicken is one of them. So, uh, done. I love. So you guys are into a lot of different stuff. Yeah. So that's that's the point. So so, to, so again, David's, you know, sort of question. Sorry, around, I threw us off completely. No, no. <laughs> but this is it. What what do you like and what do you not like? Again, um, we're, we're still investing in, in EMP assets, but it's a very, very, very uh, strict filter and, and very high bar. And by the way, we are seeing some, some, some neat opportunities that, f- that fit that formula, but, um, but there's a lot of other services and equipment manufacturing businesses like you know, Trillium, for example, is one we talked about yep. before. I think you know David who David runs a company yep. um, that um, is a manufacturer of valves and pumps and other um, sort of flow control products um, that uh, that's very much uh, you know us participating in the sustainability tailwind um, around how how you can have industrial assets again operate more safely more reliably. But to me though, when when people talk about sustainability, to me I think sustainability is you have a well-run business, you're aware of your risk, you're actively addressing those risks, you're focused on not only return and margin but you're also focused on sustainability meaning you've got a inspired competent and accountable and responsible workforce because if you don't have that the widgets you're making or the service you're providing is going to be substandard and and that's going to get in the way sustainability and if you also don't have that focus there you're going to allow waste to happen which which is the environmental issue and i think most companies that are well run and the reason why I believe they, they have such a good story already, they just don't know how to tell it because they've not been trained to tell that, is that 
if if you're focused on all these things you're not going to have a waste issue you're going to have a so you know you're going to be viewed as a is a good place to work and a good place to do business with and to me when i think of sustainability that's sustainability if you if you if you're good at what you're doing, you're managing the shop, so to speak, and you're earning a return, you're treating your people well, you got a good product, good service, whatever it is, and, and you're focused on waste, carbon footprint's gonna be optimal or continuously improving. Your people are gonna are gonna continue to wanna give their hundred and ten percent and wanna work for you and and do a good job, whatever it is that they're doing. And in theory, Provided you're not, you know, blowing all that money on stupid things, the company should be making money yep. and, and and providing return to investors. And so I, I, I get I get a little chuckle every time people say, "Oh yeah, it's a sustainable business." I go, "How is investing in something that's way way far off the spectrum, a science experiment, as you said, going to be a sustainable business if there's no path to, um, you know." Um, profitability and and everything else goes along with it and then the when you think about the stuff that's so-called green is not as green as people would like to make it to be and i think some of the non-green stuff can be quite green if if uh if it's managed well because i've seen i've seen both right and uh, i think that's right and i think by the way you're killing me you got the fried chicken. I, I made a move you got the you yeah. got the fr- fried chicken up on the screen <laughs> and um I'm, oh, already I can't thinking, wait. I'm already thinking about lunch yeah yeah uh, but but no I, I think that's i think that's right david and it goes back to the you know the earlier question you asked around you know capital uh destruction and 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 i do think you know we, we're very conscious of it uh around you know where where we invest um and particularly f- conscious of it as it relates to the SPAC, which is, which would be something that would be more likely to pursue a, an earlier stage, um, more nascent business, right? right. Um, we're not going to, we wouldn't, that's not appropriate for the, for the, or the mandate for the private equity fund. And so for the SPAC, would th- that, that could be very susceptible to that risk. And right. so we are very focused on, and we told our investors this when we marketed uh, the SPAC, and I think it resonated, which is we are very focused on ultimately investing in a business through the SPAC and combining with a business that is a real business right? that has established revenue, has a blue chip customer base. It may not be, uh, and it won't be, a business that's generating, you know, today a ton of EBITDA and a ton of free cash flow just because that's not what this that's not what this SPAC is for. Right. It's for finding a business that has some disruptive process or technology that is going to really help drive uh, elements of the energy transition kind of ESG imperatives. Um, but again, it's not going to be one of those science experiments. It's going to be a business you're going to look at and you're going to say, okay, I get it. I see how this business is going to generate strong returns for shareholders, for, for public equity investors. Um, and it's kind of a, there's already already proof of concept. It's sure. just about how can it accelerate its growth. Right, right. The continuous improvement concept. Correct. Yeah, it's an old friend of mine told me one time, said, Drode. It's really easy getting into a deal. Getting out's a whole different story. And well, I think whoever said that was a wise man. Yeah. And I think you know the funny thing about uh, some of the, some of the the successes and the failures. It's it's you know running a business, investing in a business. It's a challenging deal, and running a business is super difficult. And I think 
we've developed a culture over time and i've said this before the participation trophy culture where they feel like oh i've made this investment or i have this company and therefore i should be successful right Entitled, without any accountability or sense of entitlement and they're not they're not challenging themselves saying how do we get better how do we how do we make sure that we are aware of the risks that could jump up and smack us and kill us? And right. and I think with just a little bit of extra attention and awareness and a little bit of thought, not having to spend a lot of money by some of these some of these folks, they would they would get that. But I think the reality is there's winners and losers. Of course, investors don't like to be told that. And you, you know, if everybody was hitting a home run, then it'd be a whole different different deal. So but is the can you trade on the SPAC now? Uh, so it, it's publicly traded. It is. It's publicly what, what traded. What is the symbol? The ticker is uh, FRS, FRSG on NASDAQ. On that, okay. FRSG on NASDAQ, okay. yeah. Looking that up then. Want to take a look at it if you guys are interested. Uh, we're, we're kind of, you got something else? Well, I was just going to say, kind of tied to all that stuff. Sorry I if think, I didn't cut you off the espresso. Which kind of goes. Not my fault. Yeah, I know. It's, it happens. Um goes to kind of what we like to ask and I think I would like to ask the question from both a professional and a personal perspective and that is you've been around a while you've invested in a lot of businesses you've had a lot of successes you've had your share of challenges like everybody else kind of what are some of the bigger lessons learned from those successes and I wouldn't I don't want to call them failures but challenging times both at the first reserve level that y'all carry forward into how we yep. look to continue to improve. And then and then some wor- personal words of wisdom that we like our guests to talk about. You know, what 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 do you know now that you would have loved to have told Neil Wiesel, you know, 20 years ago? Right. Well, or 10 years ago or two years ago. You know, we loaded um, a lot in there. Yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah, say, man, tell how, us how much longer do we have? <laughs> well, we have, to, we have uh, as much time as you want. The answer um, to that question. I, I, well, so, so I would say... You know, I've been asked the first part of that question a lot. Um, uh, what have you, um, you know, what 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 is you know lessons learned and what have you taken away personally? And I would say, you'll get to first reserve in a minute. But for me personally, I feel like, you know, you can you can be confident, um, and you should be confident if you're if you're good at what you do, but um, but not arrogant. And I know that that's kind of a little bit of motherhood and apple pie, but I think it's too easy. This goes a little bit to your entitlement question right? Um, in some ways. It's too easy to um, have a couple wins, get a bit more senior, people tell you how thoughtful you are, compliment you all the time. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not saying this is me. I, Did David tell you uh, to tell this to me directly? Because I feel like... <laughs> This I think I feel like you guys had a conversation before you got here, and he said you got to tell John he's out of control. <laughs> no, no, okay, of course then not. Good. I of course that. not. Um, that's our secret. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but but it's too it's too you know we've seen it with management teams, seen it with peers, um, seen it with competitors um, to um, to to get overconfident and arrogant. And I think that this is this is hard stuff. If it weren't, everybody would do it. And. And I think that you know the best laid plans don't always work out. And I think that having a little, having a little bit of insecurity, uh, and and a little bit of always sort of second guessing yourself some in, in your mind is a healthy thing. I think the day you think that you've figured it all out, you know exactly what to do. There's no more learning. You've learned. You're trained. Now it's just go go do. I think the day that you feel that way, yeah you should retire um, or, or switch 
or, or switch jobs. Um, and so that's just a personal thing I, I try to do, which is, um, you know, really not, uh, you know, re- really tr- try to strike that balance per- per- personally. I, I think that's, that's good because obviously we mentioned peer group. We could probably, which we won't do, but poke fun at some friends of ours who, yes. who uh, have done really well and uh nice guys smart guys but was it was did they really move the needle and make something happen right and they got the and and it was successful as a result of strategy and this that and the other or was it a factor of timing and 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 look i would i would rather be lucky than, than smart yeah. any day yeah or, so, or totally agree yeah. and even if it was the former even right. if they were really smart and they get all the credit that doesn't mean that they always are are, are going to be right. Um, right. <laughs> and and so I think that's just important to remember. And 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 um, and what I would say at first reserve what we've learned is, you know, really um, like a tireless and relentless effort to avoid confirmation bias, um, and and to really drive a culture around debate. And challenge, and um, and and not stifle dissenting voices or opinions. It 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 has to be kind of a rigorous, very very healthy uh, debate that's full of challenge. And you know you do things in a respectful way because you want to work with people that are that are good people and respectful of each other. Um, but you have to encourage and foster that, or you're going to lose something in the conversation. And 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 I think that you know um, we just always keep trying to get better at that. You know, we were talking during our off-air espresso break, and Neil, you have done for the obviously everything you do post this podcast is downhill. So uh, you, obviously, yes, you've come on. You've just I'm peaking you're, right now, <laughs> like right right. Uh, it, let, let me eleven thirty-five on uh, Friday, June 4th. The, yeah. the, the, this is it. This is my Pax Romana. <laughs> this is it. Perfect. But I, I just feel like you've done a great job of explaining. You know, there's lots of private equity firms. There's great private equity firms, and there's different ones, and they do different things. I, I feel like you've done an excellent job of just laying the groundwork for what First Reserve is. And, you know, I, I know you're one of the managing directors there, so it's it's good to hear that you have this much influence amongst, you know, your peers, your teammates, et cetera. And and then, you know, we go back and we look at the portfolio companies. And I, I know, you know, David, I'm sure knows more than I do, but I know a handful of CEOs on your list there as well. And you look at this and, and the ones that I know are some of the smartest people great, in the business. Great group. And, you know, David Parody, you mentioned earlier, but yeah, if you David's could do me head screwed on Terrific. Yeah. yeah, sharp, very strategic guy. Yeah. But the TNT crane, I, a friend of mine, ran, Mike Appling, yeah. ran into Mike the other day and was saying how busy they are. They're they're the busiest crane company in the world right now. Is this what I heard? Something crazy stat like this. Something, something like that. Yeah, probably um, not far from it. You know, Mike's an incredible entrepreneur and businessman, um, and great friend of the firm, um, and um, and and he's very close to a number a number of us, um, and uh, and he's you know built he and his team have built a great company in TNT, and um, and and you know I'm sure that with everything we're seeing around infrastructure spending and sort of what's coming out of Washington. And and also I would say, like, not to be underestimated, the transition that I think Houston's gonna go through 
um, around uh, around capturing what I hope is its unfair share of the energy transition um, and 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 sort of the sustainability trend. I mean, I think Houston has its like rightful claim to a lot of that, yeah. uh, and we need to make sure we capture that. That'll benefit. I'm sort of on a on a tangent now. No. I like to talk about that because I really believe in Houston is having a rightful claim to a lot of what what's going to happen. Um, but I think Mike's company, um, TNT, ought to be a beneficiary of it. Huge. I mean, huge infrastructure downstream and then also the renewable space. Totally. I mean, Busy. you got to lift a bunch of stuff for them grades. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, and I did. I The numbers, uh, you know, just how busy they were. It's, it's, it's encouraging to yeah, hear businesses back. And it's exciting that, uh, you know, we're moving. And la- I'll, you and David were just talking, but I'm not from Houston either. Okay. And um, I'm not a Houstonian. I've been here almost 20 years. I love it. And what's great about it. Tell them where you're from, though. I'm from Dallas. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Tell them where you're really from. Longview? No. Hang on. I was born in Longview, raised in Dallas. Trophy Club. Oh, yeah. That's well, (laughs) I say Dallas. I'm actually not. I'm from a town called Trophy Club. I just love the fact. I I know several people that that are from Trophy Club. No, that's that's the name of the town. Trophy Club. That's a real town? Yes. And all the ladies that I know from Trophy Club are all beautiful ladies. Well, it's I mean beautiful men as well. It's a hit. Well, I'm, it's I'm surprised there. that anyone bo- born in Trophy Club would ever move from Trophy Club. I I mean, this is a true story. It's pretty I was, strong. I was you know, 19 I, years I'm old. I'm from Trophy Club. Trophy Club, yeah. Texas. That's I mean, is there a, is there a better icebreaker than that? Yeah. Well, we could be when from I first Paris, moved to Houston, Texas. there was a gentleman's club called Trophy Club. So I used to wear a shirt that said Trophy Club, and everyone's like, "Why are you wearing that shirt?" I'm like, what do you mean? This is where I'm from. They said, man, that's 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 sad. Yeah, you got to take sad, Josh. You need to take that off. Yeah, they didn't get it. They, they thought didn't get it was a strip club. Or it, something. it was. It was when I moved to Houston. But it's the reason I moved out of Trophy Club when I was 19 years old. I filed to run for mayor of the town at 19. Oh no, kidding! And my mom said, you got to get out of this town. It's like, <laughs> it's like if you think you can be the mayor at 19, you're you're too big for you this town. You need to see the world. Yeah, you need to get you out. Need to see so the world. That's why I. Left. That's a great story, actually. <laughs> but I, I love Trophy Club. Still have a bunch of friends there, but. Um, the the point too of the Houstonian yep is it it's a different person it is it's it's so civic minded there and you run into every you can mention any restaurant any gym any anything I mean it is such a great city and 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 I think you know so many people that have never lived here uh, will will never fully appreciate it but I mean you think about this city's you know business climate and yep. you think about the civic mindedness and phil- it's incredible phil- philanthropic. Uh, just bent up to, to to the people that live here. It's a meritocracy. I think you can you can you know pre- you know be from any whatever religion, whatever race, whatever um, you know ba- ba- background, um, sexual orientation, whatever. Yeah. And you come to the city. If you're a good person, you're willing to work hard. You're thoughtful. You know, there's there's a, a great place for you in the city. And and look, it's one of the most it's it's the most diverse city in the United yeah. States. And um and I, it just has so much going for it. Um, I'm, I'm, despite some of the challenges right now around traditional energy and what that might mean It'll for, change. for the for the city's economy, the city has diversified a lot with medical center and, and other things and um, and higher education, and um, and and again, I think that you know it ought to capture its its rightful claim to to the uh, the the um, benefits that'll come from the energy transition. Well, we're going to do our part, and it sounds like you guys are too. Before we get going here. You're, you've got a family. You mentioned because of COVID, you've actually been able to enjoy dinner with them. Yes, <laughs> the last yes. twelve months. Uh, you, you also mentioned uh, philanthropy. Yeah. Is there some? Are there anything yeah. that you're involved in that you want to mention and get a, a shout out to here? 
Uh, you know, I, I'm probably I'm not involved in enough. Okay. Um, I feel I, I uh, I'm. Uh, um, um, you just made the wrong comment. I can load you up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the, the board and the executive committee of, uh, of our synagogue congregation, okay. Beth Israel, which is a phenomenal, um, phenomenal uh, institution. Um, and uh, I'm on the board of Kincaid, uh, our, um, our kids' uh, Great school. school. We've yeah. got four kids that – Four that, kids that, that are attending. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Twins that are 15, a uh, uh, 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. So we're busy at, at home. Yes, you are. And um, and obviously, COVID has been just such a challenge for so many people, you know, financially and health wise, and across a number of um, dimensions. Um, and I, I think for for some people, um, one of the things that um, that that for some people ha- has been a benefit is more time with family. And if you have young children, um, you know, that's been a terrific uh, that's been a terrific um, opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to give your uh, your website then is firstreserve.com. That's right. Okay. And then the other, I looked up the, the SPAC. What was the ticker one more time? It's uh, FRSG. On the NASDAQ. On the NASDAQ. Okay. And it has its own website. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. So if you want some more information about the sustainable fund, growth fund. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. Dave, is there anything else that you want to wrap up with here? Any other questions? Uh, no. I, well, yeah. We, we skipped over it a little bit, but and maybe you answered it from both personal and professional perspective, but from a first reserve perspective, you know, if you're talking to your LPs or potential LPs, I mean, what are some of the things that you've learned that you're going to carry forward that material? And, and if and if it's catching you off the cuff, certainly understand. But No, we like this, though. You know, I, I want to know, like, what it, what is it that, that you carry forward from some of the lessons learned that, that you guys – you know, actively think about going forward because y'all have always been fairly thoughtful and and uh, yep. to your point, you don't necessarily get in allow yourself to get in too much of an echo chamber. Yeah, I think so. um, I think one is, uh, and we're always trying to get better at this, but you know, always marrying up the quantitative analysis that you do as an investor, right? The stuff you do at your desk <laughs> um, uh, with like practical experience and points of view from people sure. that are out there day to day um uh running and working in businesses right you got to ma- you have to marry those two those two things up um and and if you're doing that right it should point to lots of questions that you should resolve as part of making an investment it should point to questions in the analysis and it should point to questions in the in the in the opinions you're you're getting from people and 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 that should hopefully um, help you narrow your risks, right? So that's that's one we have to always get better at. That it's easy to favor one versus another, David, and sure. and you have to try not to. So that's that's kind of one piece. Um, I would say, you know, a second piece is what I what I talked about, which is, um, you know, healthy debate. Look, if we'd had, I, I think sometimes, sometimes you're gonna an investment's just not gonna go the way you want, right? Um, I think you 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 need to see very few of those obviously right. being accessible you got to win a lot more than 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 you lose um but what i would say is that i think that and then sometimes that's just going to happen but there have definitely been investments where we've had a challenge um historically where if we had properly optimized around a health a culture of strong debate encouraged uh that um, you know, dissenting voice, et cetera, 
then I think we probably could have saved ourselves, you know, perhaps not, certainly not all, but a couple of challenged investments. And so I think we've got it right now where uh, we really sort of celebrate the dissenting voice and really encourage that. And I think that's been super healthy for us. Um, and it'll be helpful in making sure that we, you know, really only make um, good good investments. So I think that's been that's been a big uh, a big lesson lesson learned, and um, and uh, and I think uh, you know culture um, is, is a big is a big piece of it. You know, we've had in the past an occasional uh, kind of transgression into a star culture, um, and and I think that uh, it's been a while since we've had that, and we we won't have that again. Um, meaning, it's the first reserve brand. It's our investment process. It's our culture that's going to drive good investments, good behavior, good partnership, good returns. It's not one person, yeah. and and um, and 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 we we need to make sh- that's important because a star culture can really um, can really destroy the overall um, culture, Absolutely. create a lot of challenge. And so, th- those are some examples. No, I think that's that that last the uh, star culture deal. I think is. Uh, from a recent experience, I can I can tell you that 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 hit a nerve there on yeah. just thinking about things. To your I point earlier, if, if you if you're not, uh, <laughs> do I? I said I think he's definitely looking straight at me on this. Yeah, I tend to tell myself how great I am on this podcast <laughs> often. No, 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 that was not intended at you. But but we anyways. The I, I think um, you've had personal experience with the situation. Where you've seen that firsthand? Yeah, yeah, no, I think so, and I and I think you're absolutely right. If uh, if there's too much emphasis there, you can you can do it can have overarching uh, uh, effects, damaging effects. Yeah, I, I have one more thing. So David took that question into the lessons at um, First Reserve, but really, you know, we've had you for an hour and a half, right, an hour and twenty somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, you're probably a guy that's difficult to get for an hour and a half. He is most. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, that's you're busy and there's lots of things going on. So there's going to be our, our young friend Noah, I believe his name was, in Mississippi. He's not going to get an hour and a half with you. So this will be his time with you. Yeah. So what we like to tell people is, what is a lesson learned for you personally that you would tell yourself 20 years ago? Is there something that you would give a young guy or a girl today, a piece of advice or a pearl of wisdom that you... Yeah, yes. definitely. I feel old saying it. He jumped right on this. I, I like it. I feel, I feel old saying it. Um, but um, and I think this is like really important for kids today. It was important then. I wish someone had told me it then. But I think it's even more important now with how competitive the world's gotten and 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 kids' schedules is like enjoy what you're doing at that moment. Be productive. I'm not saying you know um, uh, you know mess around and 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 um, and don't have goals. Right and and things that drive you in vision, but don't worry so much about how do I get from here to there. If you're doing something that you really love with people that you respect and that um, are going to treat you well, and you're doing and you're productive and doing a good job, it'll happen. It'll happen naturally. You don't have to be so focused on how do I get from A to B. And I wish. You know, I spent a lot of my career. Um, I'm not really not. Re- I don't think this way anymore, fortunately. But I spent a lot of my career and my time thinking always about you know next month, next year, mm. 
um, the next thing and not just really enjoying and soaking up and, and, and frankly learning as much as I should have, I think, in that moment. Um, and I hope for my kids uh, that, that they won't um, suffer that same, um, that same issue. Um, and, and, and all kids, I hope, will sort of take away that, um, you know, focus more on kind of that moment and not you know what's next i think that's really good advice another thing i just internalized you know you run so fast you're focused on things and sometimes um you don't you don't take the the time necessary really enjoy it and i think patience truly is a virtue with a lot of folks they try to force things i know i've made mistakes trying to force things and uh that's good advice well this i mean you nailed it what Good. do you think? I, this is great. Our, our same time next week? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'll wrap us up here. David, do you have anything else? We're going to jump to the uh, to the ending here. I got When I go into this ending, there's so many things you got to say. Okay. It's, it's a thing. All right. You got anything else, Mr. D. Rowe? No, I'm just anxious to hear what you're going to say well, now. No. <laughs> I, I gotta, so I got to look in the camera, which is always a difficult thing. This is behind the scenes, right? Okay. So, Mr. Wiesel, thank you for your time today. This is going to wrap up uh, really one of the more enjoyable. I've enjoyed this. This has yeah, been great. It's a lot of fun. Yes. it's. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for making time. Thanks for having um, me. If you, I, I pass out all the email addresses. If you have any complaints, send it to david at david at oilfield360.com. If you thought it was great, send it to josh at oilfield360.com. See what I have to deal with. <laughs> you can look us up on any of our social media channels. Um, we are on YouTube now, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show. So once again, we just thank you for the audience. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, just give us an email and we'll try to get some questions answered. As our friend uh, Noah asked today, we will definitely respond to those. Uh, thank you, Neil, for your time. David, as always, great show. Appreciate yeah, it. See you. Neil, thanks for being here. No, th- th- thank you all for having me. It was, it was awesome to be here. I appreciate good luck it. to your companies and your people as well. Thank you very yes, much. Enjoy your summer. Thanks, guys. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. United Airlines. As Houston's hometown airline, United has long been the preferred carrier of the energy sector. United for Business offers a range of programs and discounted travel options built for all of your energy, resource, and marine travel needs. Get started at united.com business. Piper Sandler. The energy and power team of Piper Sandler is committed to the global energy industry and delivers exceptional client services in M&A advisory, capital markets execution, institutional sales, and investment research. For more information, please visit pipersandler.com slash energy and power. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust a leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach. 
as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for information. Locked in Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly independent. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com.